0: Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate, with your host, Broker Associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher.
1: Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have New York State Assemblyman, Fred Thiel. Hey, Fred, how are you today?
2: Good, John. It's great to see you, even if it's on Zoom, and uh, I hope all is well with you.
1: And the same with you also. So we made it through the fourth, and now I want to talk about something that I think was like a pet project of yours that you initiated, and that is the Peconic Bay Community Preservation Fund. And and for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us what it is and how did you come up with the idea for the legislation?
2: Well, uh, certainly. First of all, the the Community Preservation Fund, believe it or not, next year we will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Community Preservation Fund. It was enacted in Albany back in 1998. Uh, There was a referendum that November of 1998 and the tax actually began to be collected in uh, in 1999. So uh, believe it or not, 25 years have come and gone. And And the concept is, is really quite simple. It is a dedicated fund. Uh, and that dedicated fund originally when it was enacted was for a, a very specific purpose. And that was to acquire land for conservation purposes to protect the, the quality of life here. And uh, the categories for conservation fell fell into basically four general areas, farmland preservation, open space, parks and recreation purposes, and historic preservation. So it is a land acquisition program. Uh, since then, about five or six years ago, we added an, an additional category where up to 20% of the funding can be used for water quality uh, uh, protection projects, projects that improve water quality. Because we learned that when you're talking about community character, it's great to protect the land. But water is so important out here that you also have to be able to protect uh, water also. So it is a dedicated fund for land and water quality conservation. Um, And it is financed with a 2% real estate transfer tax. Every transaction, uh, virtually every transaction uh, has a 2% real estate transfer tax applied to it. Uh, there is a uh, an exemption on the first $250,000 of the purchase price. Uh, so nobody pays any tax on the first $250,000. But um, and that that real estate transfer tax has generated since 1999 has generated 1.9 billion dollars for billion with a b billion with a b uh for land and water conservation and it is particularly since the pandemic and the uh, you know the the, the uh, rather heated real estate market has been you know, has really generated a lot of money. As far as to where, where the idea came from, uh, I, you know, I'd like to say that I had a Eureka moment and thought of it all myself. That would not be true. Basically, we saw that something similar was being done in Nantucket. It, it was actually something that came to the attention of Judith Hope when she was the town supervisor in the town of East Hampton. Her and her late husband Tom Toomey would fly. Tom was a pilot. They would fly once in a while over to Nantucket, and she learned about it there. Uh, so I, I, I am quite honest when I tell people that on the East End we stole the idea from Nantucket. <laughs> I like to say that we stole that. It was their idea, but we perfected it um, because we were able to take that concept of a of a real estate transfer tax and apply it here on the East End and. What I I think the genius of of this actually is, is that it allows conservation to keep pace with development. When development is hotter, you know, and the real estate market is hotter like it was during the pandemic, and we feel like we're under siege out here because there's so much activity, it generates more money. So conservation is able to keep pace with development. And I think that is why it has worked so well. Uh, through the years is that, you know, as, uh, as we're here, out here on the east end, as uh, the region has become more and more popular, more and more people have, have wanted to come out here and, and to be here, it has generated more money for us to preserve the places that are special. Because, you know, in a balanced community, you know, some areas are going to get developed. And, you know, we, we certainly need economic activity also. But we have to balance that development with the, the things that make the area attractive and why people want to come here in the first place.
1: It's a wonderful uh, concept. Uh, who controls the funds, by the way?
2: Uh, each it's it, we say Peconic Bay Community Preservation Fund. There are five towns in the Peconic uh, Bay region. Those towns are East Hampton, Southampton, Shelter Island, South Hold and Riverhead. So those are the five East End towns. Each town has its own dedicated fund. So the town of East Hampton controls their fund. The town of Southampton controls their fund. There are actually five separate funds in each town. It's the town board that makes the final decisions. Each town has an advisory committee to make recommendations as to which lands should be purchased and what, what projects should be undertaken. So we try to get some objectivity out there as to you know, getting the best lands and what are the best projects to do. But ultimately it's our town governments that make the decisions, uh, they control the fund, they administer the fund, uh, they determine what lands are gonna be acquired. The one thing I should also mention that was part of when we had to have the, uh, uh, the, the fund uh, implemented is, is that it is a willing seller fund. The towns can't go out there and use eminent domain and and condemn people's land. You have to be a willing seller. And the position of the state legislature back in 1998 was that, uh, you know, we were giving a new and extraordinary power to the local towns on the east end. Um, And they wanted to be cautious on on how it was going to be utilized. So one, uh, the seller has to be willing. Two, it has to be pursuant to a plan that after a public hearing is adopted by the towns so that, uh, you know, there is some rationality into the lands that are being acquired. Uh, The public has a lot of input into it. And we're respecting people's private property rights all at the same time.
1: Wonderful. Um, I noticed that uh, in 2022, the the revenues were 4.4% lower than in 2021. How did that come about?
2: Well, I think you have to look at it in in the broader context, and that is, uh, as you know, because you're in the field, uh, you know, the real estate market can be somewhat volatile, and this can be a volatile revenue stream. Uh, You know, for example, in 2008, just before the Great Recession, uh, the fund generated about $96 million a year for that year in 2008. By 2010, because of the Great Recession, it went from 98 million to 40 million, really a, a precipitous drop. Um, and through throughout most of the last decade, the fund generated, on average, where, where the fund is usually between in the five towns, somewhere between 90 million and 100 million. But you know, when the Federal Tax Act ha- happened in 19 in 2019, taking away the uh, the the salt deduction, the state and local tax deduction that had a little bit put a shiver through the real estate market here. And it you know the amount dropped to about 77 million. Um, but from, from 2019, it was 77 million. In 2021, because of the pandemic and the rush of people to, to buy a house out here, get out of the city, buy a, a house in, in an area where it's a little less congested, a little less crowded, the fund went from generating 77 million in 2019 to 210 million in 2021. Jeez. It virtually tripled. And that will tell you one, how many transactions took place they, right. and also how prices increased. So when you say it went down by 4.8% in 2022 thus far, for the first five months. You're comparing it to the most uh, prolific year in real estate transfer tax revenue in the 25 year history of the program. Uh, The revenues for 2022 are down 4.8%. It is still by far and away the second highest year in the 25 year history of the program. So, and John, you, you know what's going on out there. Prices haven't really dropped, but inventory has dropped. You know, the, the 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 level of sales in 2020 and 2021, you know, it was such a hot market that there was a there's a, there's a lack of uh, inventory out there. There's a lack of houses for sale. And that's that's kind of slowed the revenue stream a little bit, but not much. But, you know, from what I hear from, you know, folks such as yourselves that are in the industry that, you know. Uh, inventory is starting to be, build back up a, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think it remains to be seen what uh, the increases in interest rates and kind of, you know, the volatility in the economy. You know, uh, out on the East End, I think our real estate market is directly correlated to what's going on on Wall Street. And you know, we've seen stocks drop. It, it was the worst six months on Wall Street, and in quite a while, so it remains to be seen how all those things are going to kind of out. come together, and you know what the next year or maybe the next couple of years are going to look like. But you know, so thus far, while things have eased off a little bit, it's still a pretty robust real estate market.
1: How true? How true? You know, one thing that I, I saw is that uh, of all the five towns, most of them had decreased in their revenues, but Riverhead saw an increase of almost fifty percent from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two. Why do you think this happened? Is Riverhead becoming like a metropolis?
2: I think a, a couple of things are going on in Riverhead. And, and uh, one is that prices have been driven up so much on uh, on the South Fork and even in South Hold on the North Fork that I think there, folks are looking for bargains in Riverhead where prices have, aren't, aren't quite as high. You know, they've got some wonderful properties there along the sound, you know, and, and Riverhead's kind of a commercial center. The, the other thing I think is that, you know, things are happening in Riverhead. Uh, you know, thanks to, I think, to, to the new supervisor there, Yvette Aguiar, uh, they were successful in winning a $10 million state grant to revitalize their downtown. Uh, you're seeing activity happen in, in downtown. So I think people see that. And it's another reason why people, you know, the prices are a little lower, they see some changes coming to Riverhead. And I think that that's spurring some investment in Riverhead. So um, I just think that uh, Riverhead's part of the overall region, but there's a couple of things happening in Riverhead that uh, where, you know, maybe the prices are a little lower and people are seeing some downtime revitalization coming to Riverhead where they think, Hey, uh, the, you know, things are starting to are, are on the upswing in Riverhead might be a good time to invest in real estate in the town of Riverhead.
1: Well, you know, I remember back, this is going back <clears throat> 20 years ago, I guess it was downtown Riverhead was not a place you wanted to walk at night and, and it was desolate. And now it's got activity.
2: Yeah. You, you're seeing some changes already. Certainly the aquarium, had that impact there they uh uh you know renovated the suffolk theater suffolk theater has got stuff going on you've got a hotel in downtown riverhead and they have a whole revitalization plan you know there's uh you know the long island science museum is going to build in downtown riverhead there's a the, the town just acquired property to build a park right next to it so yeah i mean i think uh you, know, you you could have said the same thing about uh, Greenport maybe oh, right. 30 years ago right and they they took some steps that revitalized their downtown and now Greenport is is a popular destination and i think Riverhead's on its way to, to being the same thing because of some of the decisions that are made there. So I, don't I think when you, look at those, uh, when you you look sorry. at those numbers, you may be seeing some of the beginnings of, of that revitalization and people willing to take a chance on buying real estate in Riverhead.
1: Excellent. How can people reach you, Fred, if they have any questions?
2: Well, well people can reach me. Certainly, they can reach me on, on the phone here in the office, which is 631-537-2583. And they can always reach me also uh, uh, by email, which is Thiel F T H I E L E F, my first initial, at nyassembly.gov.
1: Fantastic, Fred Thiel. It's been a pleasure having you on the program. Please stay where you are, since we'll be right back with our next guest. Welcome back to Real Life. And this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the top 1% of agents in the country, Lilla Carter. Lilla, how are you today?
3: I'm really super. I'm very excited to do this together with you, John.
1: Well, Um, I'm excited to have you on the program because, uh, you know, you have a lot of um, education and information about uh, real estate here in the Hamptons. But before we do that, let's talk about you. You didn't come out of your mother's womb doing real estate, right? Like most of us have <laughs> joke here. But anyway, you
3: know,
1: I'm sorry.
3: Asked because um, I remember one of my first real estate classes. Somebody said that the teacher, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, um, said, look, you know, you guys are new at this. And when somebody asks you, um, how long have you been in real estate? You can say feels like forever, uh, that helps the guys that um, and gals that um, have not been doing it for a long time. And it does feel like forever, but I did not come out of my mother's womb uh, uh, selling real estate. Um, I actually, like many of our cohort, um, I actually had a long and storied history of doing something else. And in my case, there's something else actually was almost always being an agent because I was a fashion photographer's rep um, in New York City before my family moved out here, you know, almost 30 years ago. So they, um, yeah, I don't and,
1: mean to interrupt you. I was going to say yeah. that, that was one of my questions. Where did you grow up? Out here?
3: Oh, as a matter of fact, I grew. I also grew up all over the place, um, which I think is not an uncommon um, uncommon case for many of our, uh, our brothers. Um, I I was born in Princeton. My my dad was a a university professor and we we bounced around from one college um, university town to another. He was uh, um, and is um, a demographer, a population scientist. And so we moved from Princeton to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to Berkeley, California. I um, landed in Hawaii for a, a number of years, um, and then he came back to do uh, foundation work and uh, found a scholarly journal in New York City. Wow. So and then I, I lived in um, Greenwich for a bunch of years before I went to college and then moved back to New York and then finally landed in um, the most beautiful place on earth, the Hamptons.
1: I was just going and, to answer uh, that question. what, what's, Of yeah. all those places, which one is that you think is the best? here of course
3: (laughs) (laughs) just checking just checking checking. you don't you don't need to check no this is this is an incredible place to to live and to work and uh you know and I think that um we're all really fortunate those of us that are in this business to be able to share um our love of this region um with our 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 clients and customers it's really a, a very very special place and um yeah, this is the best place, of course.
1: So how did you end up in the Hamptons finally? Like
3: Oh my god, there's there's a long story there too. So my husband um who I I met in college and re-met, you know, years after college, um his mother um Irene Carter who um is is uh was really the um entry point here because she was uh, worked in the design field in New York and moved um bought a house out here. Uh, years and years ago. And we would visit her every weekend. And finally, we looked at each other on that Sunday night going home as many of our, um, again, our clients and customers do uh, every Sunday going like, I don't want to go back to, you know, Manhattan, which is a wonderful place to be. uh, Don't get me wrong. But we said, we'll, we'll try it for a year. And we came out here with the experimental year. And I told all my all my girlfriends uh, b- back in the city, like, oh, I'll be here for, you know, museums and shows and concerts. I'll be back all the time. And when I when I came out here, when we came out here, um, that was it. I, I I pretty much didn't go back. I have a fantastic dentist in New York City who I will never leave. But other than that, and I'm trying to get her to come and, and be here, too. Um, but other than that, um, we were we were just, you know, hook, line and sinker. We were in in the Hamptons the whole thing you know it's it's so
1: interesting uh I came from the city also and I remember my wife you know saying let's let's go out there and and I was so reluctant you know now I hardly ever go into the city yeah (laughs) so something about this area right yeah Um, so let me ask you a question okay uh Give us a little bit of your background because I know your background was in communications and you did some DJing. I think you said mentioned or something.
3: It did. I I actually um, and this this actually feeds into my sort of avocation, which is um, I I'm really a, a profound music lover of all different kinds of music and um we have a saying in my family the more you love music the more music you love um so you know classical to uh to, to anything i i am i'm there for it but um so i thought i was going to be a dj when i was a was not was a kid and um uh how that's expressed itself recently is um uh, is as um i sing with the choral society of the hamptons oh. and we- uh, oh, uh one of the covers, others by the
1: way are you the leader of that are you the leader i'm
3: of- not i'm a i'm an alto i'm one of um it's a it's a great chorus um uh, of, of more or less uh, sixty uh singers auditioned um singers men women older younger i love the choral society because it's it's a thing that is um it attracts like a such an interesting um, group of people that are all interested in singing and in music in general and um i am the vice president but uh i and i actually was the executive director at one point but but um but now i'm i'm i've tried to focus on my singing but that's a big big part of my life is uh, singing with the group um we do three concerts a year we have an incredible following of Local locals and weekenders um, that come and see us for every concert. It's a fantastic group. And if you're interested in that, I have I have to give you you know how to find us. But um, the, the Coral Society. Cool. Of Hamptons. How, how
1: can they? How can how can people reach that? The Coral Society.
3: Yeah. it's Coral chor- Society of the Hamptons dot org. Oh, simple. Come and,
1: come and, When's the yeah. next uh, uh, concert? Is it coming up in the future? Oh, boy.
3: You're gonna um, you're gonna catch me here. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> December it's the first Sunday in December I think it's either the first or second Sunday in December but it's on the website so you can check it out we'll be be singing um we'll be singing uh at that at that time holiday music and um it's I know it's a really beautiful program and I hope to see you in the audience
1: absolutely I will definitely be there so um That's uh, another thing I have to say before real estate, you know, and I asked this question many times of uh, the guest is uh, you must have had a few mentors along the way. Is there anything that you still carry with you today that you use in uh, in real estate?
3: Well, I'm not sure that I would call out any um, prior to, to being in real estate people that drove me to this business. Um, but since I have been working, um, I would say my first mentor who I still work with closely is my business partner, Cray Van Sickle. Um, Cray and I have been business partners for almost 20 years now. And, uh, he had been in the business, in the real estate business uh, a long, much longer than I had, um, when we got together and he continues to uh, amaze me with his creativity and, um, sort of problem solving, um, boots on the ground, problem solving, uh, that he's able to do. I I really respect him a lot. And we love working together because I think we complement each other's skills, uh, quite well, but he's a fantastic mentor. And I have to say in the, in our business, and I'm sure that you would find this too, John, um, that, are the people that we work with, that we buy and sell with, the, the folks out here are an amazing bunch of people with such a wide variety of skills and expertise and uh, globe trotting creativity. I, I really find that the people that we we end up working with give me give me a lot to think about too. I wouldn't call them a mentor exactly, but it's just fascinating to get to work with such uh, mm-hmm. sophisticated. An yeah. interesting
1: Diverse people. Right. I, I mean, I, I understand perfectly what you're saying. Um, uh, what do you think uh, has the market changed in the last six months? Uh,
3: it's uh, <laughs> it's been a, obviously it's been a, a, an interesting few years here um, in the last six months. I, I, I think that anecdotally, uh, my our broker colleagues and which would agree that the market has changed quite a bit in terms of the amount of inventory kind of disappearing, especially towards the beginning of the year, there was almost nothing to buy. Um, Everything had really been burned off. Um, I would say that we, as we go into the summer season, and maybe it's strategic timing on the part of our sellers and us, um, the inventory has increased. um, So there's more opportunity to purchase. But um, I I think that you, that's actually impacted the, the market in an interesting way there's more to more to buy but there's a lot of sort of strange pricing it's been very challenging I think for us to um, figure out a way to price properties and what is appropriate uh, it's funny you know the the sellers sometimes say to me well let's have this property appraised it's like what are you talking about the appraisers come to us for you know the 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 information oh, yeah. coming to the agents and asking the question because you know we are the ones that have the uh, you know, blow by blow, um, boots on the ground timing of what things are worth, and even even if we're immersed in it, and we are, it still can be a challenge to figure out what the what the correct price is. That being said, I think that the market has become a lot more rational. So when things are priced appropriately, that that's when they sell. And if and if you've got something that you're selling today, and it's not it's not trading, you know, or getting attention pretty promptly, the price is, uh, the prices is right. high.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, have you been involved in any uh, bidding wars? You,
3: you know, last year, the year before, almost every transaction I was involved in was was a bidding war um, this year, probably less so, but I think they're still happening. And um but again, I, I think it's happening at a rate that is much more reflects a rational um, marketplace. So it's not hysteria. Um, people are are very well versed in what value looks like. Um, and so bidding wars are definitely still happening on, on properties that are priced appropriately because right. they're and because there's not that much available. And so um, people. Um, people that are educated in what value looks like um, will will jump in with both feet for sure.
1: What kind of advice do you give uh, buyers that uh, if they get into a bidding war?
3: I think you have to. I, I'm a big proponent in in trying to be as as rational as possible. Um, exuberance is great. Um, there's a lot of adrenaline um, for us as brokers, and sometimes for the buyers and the sellers, the, the principals as well. But but I, I, I really counsel, you know, rational, calm, cool, collected um, kind of thinking. So my advice to a buyer in that situation is to really think about if this is something that you really want to do, and if you, and if you're you totally prepared to do it, bid as much as you possibly can, uh, and and walk away, and be prepared to walk away because. Um, Because overspending for something that you don't have, you know, all the love for is just, um, you know, it's not a happy situation. People end up walking away from things that they think that they've overbid on. So I um, when I'm working with buyers, that is my counsel is really to be um, very, very sanguine and calm about uh, about the approach.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um, Have you seen any shift in buyers once now that many work uh, remotely?
3: Oh, of course. I mean, that's, that's the paradigm shift out here. This is going to be a whole different world. Um, if you can work four days a weekend, you know, have, uh, have like long weekends and work here, people are really coming here and staying here. And that is, is a trend that I think that we've been seeing for the last 20 years as re- before remote work, quote unquote, was even a real thing. Right. Um, People that had their hands on the reins of their career were often able to um, schedule their work around being here for long weekends. Um, Lola, I, I'm sorry,
1: but we have to jump. Uh, yeah. How can somebody get in touch with you? Because, uh, you know, you have such a, a lot of uh, real estate knowledge. And, yeah,
3: I'm sure to sell so uh, I, w- I would be delighted to meet with anyone. Um, my my uh, email is, and I here's my name, which is spelled so challengingly, which is L Y L L A at Saunders, S A U N D E R S dot com. And my phone number is 631 875 1976.
1: The LaCarta, it's a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey.
0: You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIW-FM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIW-FM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.